Hey Marvelites, it's me, Jasmine, bringing you a small bonus episode of Pullist featuring a She-Hulk reading club that we recorded way back in November with writer Dana Schwartz and, of course, the legendary Dan Slott. I adore Dan's run of She-Hulk, and we thought it'd be a fun time to revisit it this week. So anyway, you'll be hearing both Ryan and Tucker in a little bit, but Agent M and I will be back next week with our usual deep dive into all the latest from Marvel Comics. Stay tuned and catch you next week. Tucker, are you ready to get green? I have no other way to introduce (laughs) our guest this week. Hello, Dana Schwartz, writer, podcaster, and awesome person all around. Hello, hello. All right. Thank you so much. Hi. Dana, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited for this conversation for many reasons, but to get it started, where did your sort of whole relationship, fandom, et cetera, with Marvel begin? So I was, if you can probably imagine, like kind of a dorky kid who liked reading a lot. But I, you know, stuck to like a lot of classics and novels. Like I didn't really get into comic books. I feel like that was probably because I was, you know, intimidated by like the one comic book store in my town. And I had an older brother, but he wasn't interested in comic books at all. So I was like, oh, well, that's just not a thing that I need to care about. But I remember specifically going to the library and seeing a copy of Watchmen. And I checked it out. And then I went back and checked out I think like one by one, like every other like V for Vendetta. And then I just wanted to like keep going the titles that I had heard of. And I was like, oh, and I kind of told myself like, oh, I'm just, I'm an omnivorous reader. I should just sort of get into this. I kind of told myself I wasn't a comic book person, but I wanted to have a well-rounded literary education. So this is probably like middle school or like beginning of high school And then thinking like, oh, well, I got to read, you know, all the classics and some classics are comic books. I started reading all of Neil Gaiman's Sandman and like The Killing Joke. And I think from there, I was able to tell myself like, oh, it's okay. You like reading comic books, even though you're still intimidated to go to the one local comic book store. But then I started reading a more ubiquitous stream of, of comic books. I think when I was able to order them online for myself, that was when I started reading a lot more Marvel comic books. Do you remember what the Marvel books that got you hooked were? Yeah, I think like a lot of Matt Fraction books. I think like Kate Bishop really got me into it. I mean, I just loved that series of Hawkeye. Yeah, that was probably the first. And then Dan Slott and She-Hulk was one of my favorite runs. For me, I think one of my main barriers to entry for Marvel comic books was that I never knew where to start. If you're a complete novice coming into the comic book world, you're like, where's the beginning? Especially if someone like me, I'm like a control freak and I want to have read everything and that's physically impossible. So it was very challenging for me to be like, okay, well, where do I start? And I was too intimidated to like go to a comic book store and ask someone because I thought they'd be mean to me incorrectly. Every comic book store I've ever gone to and like actually interacted with people, they've been very nice. But yeah, like I think we're talking like Dan Slott's like first She-Hulk run, which I loved because it, I felt like it was an introduction to the character and I wasn't missing anything where for some other books, I was like, oh, well, where do I need to start actually? Yeah, totally. You've had such a fascinating arc. I mean, not just in relationship to the Marvel stuff and the, the stuff we're talking about today, but as a writer in general, I'm curious. I read 
this could be wrong. Did you intern at several late night shows? I did. Yeah. I When I was in college, I interned at Conan. And then when Colbert took over The Late Show, I like was in the first intern class at The Late Show. I like assembled the cabinets in that office. <laughs> I ask because I was also a, a late night show intern. Hey, look at that. Yeah, I was a writer's intern at Late Night with Seth Meyers. I ask this, I bring this up because I'm curious. I mean, that experience for me was such a huge, like, I took just so many things away from it. Just having my back to the writer's room door was like one of the most in- incredible experiences I've ever had in an office. So I'm curious if you could talk about that, if you can quantify like, what you took away from those experiences and how maybe that changed how you think about being a writer or being a creative person in general. Yeah, absolutely. When I was in college, I was a pre-med. And so I was like, you know, fully in the organic chemistry, hard science world. And up until my senior year, I did internships in labs over the summer. Like I would literally be, I was at like the Harvard Stem Cell Institute, like your job is like doing PCR tests, like boring, hard lab jobs. And I think I told myself like, okay, you're smart. You're good at this. Like, this is how you make a living. You can enjoy being a writer, but that's not like a job you can do for your life. Like, who am I? I'm just like a random kid from the Midwest. And then sort of on like a whim, not a whim, but like this, like what I realized now was a desperate Hail Mary. I applied to that Conan internship thinking like, okay, I need to do One thing I enjoy before I spend the next eight years of my life in med school and then the rest of my life in a hospital. And so I did that. And it was just like such a wonderful experience, like realizing like that people lived and worked in these creative fields and, and, you know, had fun and, and wrote comedy for a living. It immediately like clicked into place in a way that medicine never did for me. And so I feel like that changed the trajectory of my life forever. Like if I had had an awful experience, I probably like wouldn't have wanted to be in a creative industry, but no, it was like amazing. And then I threw myself into writing and I started freelance writing. Like while I was still in college, I just, I sent like embarrassing cold emails to every like website and news outlet that I read being like, please let me write anything for you. And I think the only people who got back to me were mental floss. So I started writing for mental floss. And then it just, it kept going from there. So it was a really good experience. And when I started interning at The Late Show with Colbert, I wasn't a writing intern. They didn't like have writing interns, but I, my job was like stocking the fridge with soda, but I was terrible at that because I would just hang out on the third floor where the writers were the whole time, just like trying to befriend them. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story of your hustle but also that, so when I was in college, I was a math major and I like, I loved math. It's just sort of one of those things. And then my second year of college, I remember going to school and it just like something in my brain just stopped really understanding the high level math that I had been sort of really into and excited about and, and enjoyed. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so you have to, there's something that, you know, your body, your brain, your whole being pivots to figure out, okay, what do I do here? And I love that you can make that choice and you change the entire trajectory of your life and make these cool, bold moves. It's really inspiring. It's really fun. You say you you intern at Conan and Conan to me is a very specific type of, oh, this, this is a comedy person 
that likes weird, that is quirky. There's something fun. What are some of your favorite comedy troops or sketches or whatever it is? For me, like I feel a kinship with someone who loves Conan. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like I, Conan's like weirdness and sort of like the way he, it always felt smart and silly at the same time was a huge influence on, on me and my writing and like the type of vibe that I'm always trying to achieve. I think like my biggest comedy influences were when I was in high school, which were like, those are like the formative comedy years for everything. I remember I was homesick one day, maybe I was in middle school. That would probably make more sense. And my older brother had DVR'd a ton of episodes of The Late Show and The Colbert Report. And just for a full day lying on the couch, like under a blanket, like half feverish, I just watched through like like months of those episodes in like one afternoon. I was like, oh, people can be smart and funny and make good points using humor. In terms of like TV shows, I feel like 30 Rock was my big one. There are impossible levels of number of jokes squeezed into a tiny amount of time. It's wild. To me, 30 Rock is that perfect encapsulation of it feels very of the moment, but also there's some a timelessness to the weird and funny quirk of it all. I know. Just like the I feel like it's been wildly memed in culture. And I wonder this is gonna I'm gonna say the thing that makes me sound the oldest I've ever been in my life. But I wonder if Gen Z knows where those memes are from. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. good question. It's nice that we're talking about this stuff because this is sort of where She-Hulk begins. This is She-Hulk 2004 for listeners, people who are reading along. We open up with a graduation ceremony and we open up like with clearly a big moment in anybody's life and what is like a very interesting deliberate choice, obviously, by Dan Slott and company to kick things off there when he could take things in any direction, specifically with a character that's been around for a while and has a breadth of great stories that came before this, but kicking it off at that place with a like a young Jen Walters who's studying law and all this kind of stuff. It's a really interesting thing. I, I want to get the credits in here real quick as we dive in. This is written obviously by the great Dan Slott with pencils by Juan Bobillo, inks by Marcelo Sosa, colors by Chris Chuckery, letters by VCs Dave Sharp. And then we also have Paul Pelletier and Avalon Studios and Roland Paris, Tim Simmons, Don Hillsman all jumping in across the run that we're going to talk about today. But do you remember the first time you read this run, Dana? Yeah, I actually, when I moved to New York after college for Colbert, so this was like 2015, I became friendly with Dan Slott and he's just a great guy. And I, so I was reading his Amazing Spider-Man's, Amazing Spider-Men's, how would he pluralize that? Amazing's Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man uh, that he was writing at the time. And I just thought his writing it was so creative and fun. And so then I went back and I was like, oh, well, he's written She-Hulk. This sounds great. And by the first introduction to Jen as this like nerdy college student with this, as we later discover, like other side of her, it felt like it had a special place in my soul. Like I again, if you can imagine, was like a very studious college girl. And like, I came into college as a physics major, which shows you just how absolutely nerdy I am. And when I sort of graduated and the more confident I became and sort of came into my own when I found writing and comedy, I sort of had this confidence. Like I could go out on the town. I could talk to boys. I could like, I obviously wasn't She-Hulk, but I understood that dichotomy of 
the girl I was and sort of this person I kind of wanted to be now that I was 22 and living in the big city. There's so many people who do comedy who are just like such hardcore comedy nerds and they like live and breathe comedy and that works. I think there's a, a similarity in the world of Marvel where especially in Marvel Comics editorial, we see a lot of people coming from theater, people coming from journalism, people coming from different backgrounds and bringing a different perspective to storytelling. And I think, you know, for you coming with this like scientific, analytical, sort of different academic background on top of then the comedy of it all, I think probably helps inform and direct a lot of the ways that you start to think about the way you write, the way you perform, the way you want to develop a scene or a character and stuff like that. And then probably the way you consume stuff like Dan's She-Hulk. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Like, I think for me, I knew that I never wanted to be a comedian. Like, I didn't want to be a stand-up. I didn't want to, like, write hard comedy. I wanted to write good stories and use comedy to help those stories. And I think Dan's comics, I think he does that really well. He's telling genuinely interesting, well-crafted stories that are woven through with very funny jokes. And I think that made me realize, like, how brilliant and smart comic books could be also before dan gets here he is one of the most excited about the stories he's either telling has written or will tell yeah he's so excited to experience and share the stories because he he loves these stories and it's just he has such an affinity for the marvel world and the characters and i rereading this first arc of the she-hulk run i was like i fell in love again i can close my eyes after reading this and recall reading these issues in the quote unquote wizard house where a bunch of staffers, we all lived in the same house and like reading them in the living room and that feeling that I got of like, oh man, I really want to work at Marvel. And that, that like joy that these comics elicit. To get back into like this specific run, one of the things I love about it Obviously, relating to Jen and to some degree her She-Hulk alter ego as an individual, but it's so smart where it felt like it was bursting open the dam of potential of what superhuman law could be, where you're like, oh, these are genuinely interesting legal cases that I'm curious about. I want to see how they resolve. It was just working on every level for me. Do you have or did you or do you like when you're writing Rescue, for example, yeah. Were you conscious of like, you know what, these are my touchstones in the superhero genre. These are my touchstones in the Marvel universe, maybe, of characters that might not be similar to Pepper, but like they strike the tone that I'm going for. They have the action that I want to portray, that kind of thing. Do you have those specifically in mind as you were writing? Um, well, for Rescue specifically, I felt like the Rescue comics that I had read and sort of the portrayals of Pepper Potts that I had read so far, like, hadn't captured, like, the, not angst, but the frustrations that I personally have felt being, you know, an employee of a big corporation and a big system. Like, at this point, I was, you know, writing for Entertainment Weekly, and I felt like I had a lot of responsibilities, but anyone who works a nine-to-five job understands that, like, there are certain compromises you make, and I thought it would be fun to sort of draw out, like, the frustrations that Pepper would have with Tony Stark as her boss, this like huge ego and someone who's always, you know, kind and well-meaning to her, but definitely the star of every room. 
And so that's what I tried to bring into it of how do you make yourself the main character when you're in the shadow of the literal biggest main character possible? Also, Dan, hi, how are you? <laughs> hi. Oh, my God. Dana, we text and message and things all the time, but this is the first time in ages. I can say this now. Uh, congratulations on your recently released novel, your world famous podcast, your upcoming new podcast, and your upcoming marriage, and your obvious cloning experiment to allow someone to do all of it. Uh, well, I'm only inspired by the best, Dan Slott, who writes more comics per month than any human being should be capable of. As our listeners know, Dan Slott has now entered the chat. Dan, <laughs> thank you so much. You kindly, I honestly didn't think you would have the time to come stop by and say hi. I do not. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> so we won't keep you terribly long, but Dana chose the first arc of the She-Hulk run you wrote back in the, the early 2000s for the Reading Club. Are there any memorable tidbits of launching this, of pitching this, of, of how did this come together? Uh, this was my first Marvel ongoing superhero book. I had worked for Marvel in the past, but mainly on licensed properties and funny animals. And then I went over to our distinguished competition. And when I finally broke through over there with a, uh, a big project, People at Marvel went, oh, you'd like to do superheroes. What would you like to do? And I had my She-Hulk pitch ready. I've wanted to do that forever. Just jump in there and put her in the law office and having fun. And now I get to watch a TV show of it that Dana is working on. I'm so excited. I think it's going to be fun. Everyone over there on the She-Hulk show, it's like the coolest people in the whole world. I can't wait to see this. <laughs> See, listeners, this is literally what, Dan, we were talking about this exact thing, how much we love your infectious excitement when talking about different projects, when talking about the stuff you're working on, when talking about the stuff that you're not even working on, when you're talking about the stuff that you're just a fan of. It's the best. They have a murderer's row of talent over there working on the new She-Hulk show. I cannot wait to watch this. Dan, when you mentioned the pitch that you had right off the bat for She-Hulk, and you said it was just like Jen doing law, having fun. Do you remember like specifically what your angle was, what the conflict does? Like, obviously we know it because we've read the story. We love the story. That's why we're talking about it today. But from it's like most like small nugget of an idea. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, it was Allie McBeal with muscles. Like we knew she was a lawyer, but we rarely saw her in court. It was always wacky John Byrne break the fourth wall stuff. Or with David Anthony Kraft, it was this kind of serious melodrama, like with her against her father, the uh, sheriff. You had all these elements there. And I always just wanted to see her like, what kind of law did they have in the Marvel Universe? In a universe where people have x-ray vision, is that an invasion of your privacy? You know, or Doctor Strange's Eye of Agamotto, unlike in the movies where it's time, in the Marvel Universe, it's truth. If you're hit by that and it's a truth ray, can that be admissible in court? You know, I wanted to do the kind of law cases you could only do in a superhero universe. And I thought that would be fun. Dan, also one of the things you talked about the law firm, can you explain the significance of the naming of the law firm to our listeners? Uh, the law firm that She-Hulk works in in my run uh, is Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. And the one name in there that is made up is Holloway, who is one of our new characters, who is uh, one of the partners. But 
Goodman, Lieber, and Kurtzberg were the names of like the people that started up Marvel. The publisher and Stanley's real name is uh, Stanley Lieber, and Jack Kirby, the king, his real name is Kurtzberg. We had a point in the original She-Hulk run where we took a hiatus and then we relaunched the book. And during the hiatus, they did House of M. And I was really bummed because we had a House of M story that we would have done if we didn't take the hiatus, where when the world gets reworked, where mutants are now running the world, we were going to have her law office be called Claremont, Cockrum, and Byrne. <laughs> I was like, ah. But yeah, no, very happy with Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. And they worked in Timely Plaza which was the previous name of the company that would become Marvel. And most of the people who worked at Timely Plaza lived in an apartment building called The Excelsior. It was my first monthly superhero book for Marvel. And I just threw everything in the kitchen sink into it. I kept thinking like they were never going to let me write again. So I'm just going to throw everything in it. Sure. Yeah. Dana, have you ever talked to Dan about this run before? Yes. Do you remember what those conversations ended up being about? Like, did you go deep on like who this character is? Did you go deeper on story on anything specific? I remember you describing like the core of who Jen was to me versus who She-Hulk was. I think it was like really important to you and not to speak for you that like Jen as a character was as well developed as She-Hulk the character. It was really important to me as a straight white male writer that I expressed to Dana how women should think. <laughs> and oh, come on! I think if I was doing this today, I probably wouldn't want to be the, the guy writing She-Hulk. Like, I, I read Rainbow's scripts for the upcoming monthly She-Hulk Oh, I'm book. so excited. Go, oh, they're so good. You know, I feel I can get away with it in the FF, because it's the FF book. But I think until there's more of a parody of uh, male-to-female writers that the people who should be telling these stories are the people who have these voices. Well, I think, and I value your run on She-Hulk so much. Like I was telling the guys earlier, like I felt such a kinship with sort of this idea that on one hand, you know, this studious, you know, literal student trying to just sort of be a person in the world, even through your insecurities. And on the other hand, sort of this larger than life, a little messy as I may or may not have been in my early 20s. And I feel like it was such a relatable person slash persons that it helped get me back into reading comic books as an adult. Because I was like, oh, this is a character that I can relate to who feels like interesting. And the cases that she was dealing with were fundamentally interesting questions that I cared about. You know, as a character, my take on She-Hulk was the way Bruce Banner, he's this meek and mild guy and the gamma in him brings out his rage, you know, or... Leonard Sampson, it brings out his inner hero or the abomination, someone who pretends to be people all the time as a spy. It brings out this ugly lie in himself, this ugliness, the abomination that it's not just about strength or mm. rage or this. And for me, She-Hulk was about someone who keeps her free spirit inside. And the minute she gets to be She-Hulk, she gets to let that out. And the journey I was trying to take her on the book was to see how beautiful and special and wonderful Jen Walters is. Because the whole world loves She-Hulk. How can you not love She-Hulk? She's awesome. She is awesome. Um, Dan, before we let you go, 
you created a whole bunch of characters and fun concepts and using comic books as uh, admissible pieces <laughs> of, of evidence in court. Have you, in the, gosh, 17 years or so since the book started, have you picked up any of these characters in any of your other titles, any any of these things, any of these threads, aside from, obviously, Shelky herself? Wow. It's really weird to think of certain seeds that have been planted 17 years ago in a book that might somehow spin into something. Hmm. Where there would be a reckoning. <laughs> Check out the reckoning war this January. <laughs> 17 years in the making. Uh, did I do that right? They- yeah, I heard the da da does. That felt very right to me. Were you teeing me up for that? I was trying to get you to say that because <laughs> I've been telling Tucker and Jasmine that you teased Reckoning War in the pages of She-Hulk years ago. And I remember in all the various creative retreats and stuff over the years, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. I can always see it's in your mind. And now we're getting to it. It's very exciting. I've been like seeding it in almost everything outside of Spider-Man that I've worked on in Marvel since coming back to Marvel and doing She-Hulk. So it's little hints and teases all over the place. Like every panel I've been on, since the start of She-Hulk, there's always someone who comes up for a question and you're like, oh, you know, it, it could be any panel. It could be like how to break into comics. And so it's like, when are you doing Reckoning War? <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's been 17 years of that. So now we're doing it. Yay. I just wanted to bring up, this is totally off topic. It's not a character that you invented, but it's, I think you basically invented him in this iteration because he gets a complete personality makeover. But Awesome Andy, I just think, is the best and sweetest android on the planet. I love Awesome Andy so much. Me too. <laughs> awesome Andy's just a sweetheart. The best. He's adorable. Yeah, and not not talking about the show, but in the comic run that we are talking about, Awesome Andy is just the best, and I love him. Yeah, there's in one of the issues that we read for this, he's going to go to a Mets game, and then Mallory has him work late, and just... Yeah. The way Juan Bobillo draws his hangdog <laughs> expression and he's hunched over, he's like, oh, I just want, you could tell he just wanted to go see some baseball. It was so sad. Awesome Andy loves the uh, amazing Mets. It makes perfect sense. Yes. And Dan, we love you. We thank you for coming and stopping by. Yay, it was fun. And now, so now back fun. to the Reckoning War. Ooh. I'll see you guys. Bye. Bye, man. Bye. Bye, Dan. Yeah. Back to the She-Hulk run, one of the things I had just talked about really quickly was the art, which for the first four issues by Juan Babillo, and then Paul Pelletier comes in for a couple of issues. Paul and Dan collaborate together on a bunch of stuff. But man, I forgot how much I loved Juan Babillo's art. It's so weird in a lot of ways, and it's so unique. His style has evolved a little bit over the years, so he doesn't do as much, you know, like straight superhero stuff anymore. But this especially the way he draws She-Hulk and when she's like buff and like flexing, he draws a muscle on her that only, the only thing I can sort of say it's akin to is there was a a wrestler named Scott Steiner, big (laughs) pop-up pump who would flex his muscle. And there was this giant ball of muscle (laughs) that popped out of his arm. And that's what She-Hulk looks like. She's just so awesome and cool and big and badass. Yeah, I always felt, I mean, for me, as a woman reading these comic books, like I think there's always a fine line in the way that She-Hulk is drawn and making her like sexy versus wildly sexualized. This run, I really like that she seems strong, which I like. 
she seems strong. I think Awesome Andy as a character, that character design is just so incredible because he's so expressive without having human expressions. Speaking of like Awesome Andy, when you think back on this run, these six issues or dance run in general, I assume maybe Awesome Andy is one of those that, that just comes to mind. Do you have like things that when you think of this book, you immediately think X, Y, Z? Oh, yeah. I love Mallory. She's maybe my favorite character. There are parts of my personality that can be a little Mallory bookish. And I think understanding how to harness and use them and, and understand how to how to use the, the Mallory book energy for good is a journey I'm on. I think she is one of my favorite, most compelling characters because she's a woman who doesn't have powers, who's existing in this world with a ton of power. Yeah. And she has no fear, too. Yeah. Like, she'll stand up to Jen because she understands that. Yeah, Jen can squash me as She-Hulk, but still, I'm the one here with power. I'm the, you know, yeah. the, like she she knows her place and she's not afraid of of anyone or anything. She's she's great. Yeah, she messes Jen around in a way that like from Jen's perspective, you're like, "Oh, well this isn't nice." But from Mallory's perspective, you're like, "She has to establish who she is as the senior lawyer in this, you know, newbie comes in who, yeah, is physically imposing, but still is lower on the hierarchy." Yeah. Another character I loved in this was Ditto. Oh, yeah. What a smart idea to have Ditto serving subpoenas. Serving subpoenas. <laughs> I think when you say great idea, like that, the law firm is just full of ideas. And I love how Dan said he had this pitch ready to go and like he was just, he jumped all over it. You can tell he's probably for years beforehand had just been like, all right, I want to put this in the law firm, this in the law firm, like a super speedster to relay messages and, and courier stuff. Ditto as the person to help people around the office or also to serve papers. And the little touches of this meeting room, we have to clear out, change the lighting and, and drop in 100,000 gallons of seawater and all those little touches that I think it's the second issue where we really get to explore some of the, the law firm and the superhero part of it all. It's such a blast. It's, I want to live in that. Yeah, that's such a fun world. And I think like that's why it was a no-brainer when it was like, you know, what comic run do you want to talk about? Like, it's just so smart and fun and dynamic and lived in. And I think like in those first six issues, Dan hits like a few of my favorite cases that she held candles, like standalone cases. Dana, I'm curious, as like someone who's such a crazy successful writer still so early on in your career and someone who's written across media, whether it's comics or novels or TV or some of my like favorite publications to read on a weekly or monthly basis, do you have a medium that you think that one is your favorite or that two you think harnesses your strengths as a writer the best? That's a good question. I think... No, I think like I'm a very easily distracted person. And if I'm working on one project for a long time, I get very bored and, and lonely. And I think like being able to jump between TV and novels and podcasts and comics, like it keeps me sane. I will say something I really liked about comics is the collaborative nature of it, like working with an artist because writing novels is very lonely work, you know, for like years at a time, these ideas are just in your own head and you describe them the best you can. And it's kind of amazing. It's like the best feeling in the world to write something and then see an artist bring it to life in a way that's better than you could have imagined in your own head. And so that's very fun. 
yeah, I think that's interesting to me of just like being able to bounce around and flex the different muscles because they all kind of require different parts of creativity and different kinds of thinking and researching and, and putting all the pieces together to tell a proper story. In terms of writing comics, are there other characters that you want to be able to tap into or you've experienced in your reading that you're like, I want to tell this person's story? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wrote, you know, one shot of Deadpool and that was the most fun I've ever had. Like we talked sort of earlier about like my love of like jokes and early Conan comedy and 30 Rock. And I feel like that's the character that I can bring it out in. I love Kate Bishop. And I also love Kitty Pride as a young Jewish girl. I think that there are certain aspects of her story that I would love to tell. Wow. I yeah, that that sounds that sounds pretty perfect. I mean, you you've got friends in the X office. <laughs> uh one Zeb Wells. Oh God, it was the I mean the She-Hulk room was amazing. I think Zeb is a genius. His issue is I think it's Wolverine's birthday with that he spends with Spider-Man. It's just like one of the most beautiful comic books I've ever read. The Spider-Man story you're talking about is from Amazing Spider-Man Extra number two. So for everybody out there, go to your Marvel Unlimited, read that story. It's got art yeah. by Paulo Rivera. Wow. I mean, Zeb and Paulo together, that's dynamite. Genuinely, I think gun to my head if someone's like, what is your favorite single issue? That's it. It's like the most brilliant character development. And it's gorgeous, too. All right, Dana, we'll let you get back to uh, to making some awesome, I don't know, journalism, TV, I'll do my comics. best. Thank you so <laughs> awesome much. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much. And I, I would imagine we'll probably talk to you later when it comes time to talk about more She-Hulk stuff. I can't wait. This has been great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dana. 